Hi guys, this is Taylor from Millennial Mission. I'm back from the dead. Yeah, so I apologize for the long, long absence. I moved out to Denver, so about three to four weeks ago, so I can go to grad school at the Augustine Institute. And I wanted to make sure I had a stable life, <laughs> so a job and, you know, a place, a permanent place to live, before I started posting these again. So I apologize for the absence, but you can expect these every single week. Just a quick disclaimer before we go in um, for this episode of the My Story Podcast. So I have on um, a friend of mine, Jacob, today, who is very different than a lot of people I've had before. You know, I've typically had Catholics and Christians um, with pretty conventional lifestyles on this podcast, but I wanted to, ha- you know, started to branch out from that because I think it's very important um, for a lot of you listeners who are Catholic and Christian to know and experience lives of those that are outside and kind of our little world and to instead of judging them to love and embrace them just as Jesus did and to just know their story and have friendships with them so that's what I wanted so it's good so let's go Welcome again. Um, this is episode six of the My Story podcast with my good friend, my internet pillar, Jacob. I'm really excited to have him on. Um, he's going to give us something a little different than what we've had from people in the past. And he's just really honest, brutally honest, and um, an intimate portrayal of his life story, which is what we do here in the My Story podcast. It's all about. So once again, you can listen to this on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and of course our website. So let's go. So I'm here with Jacob. Um, Jake, this is kind of crazy that, so a lot of times when I bring people on for the My Story podcast, these are people that I'm, you know, known and kind of for a while or maybe like really good friends of mine. And you and me have had like an interesting uh, like connection relationship. I don't know what you want to call it because we both like, I feel like I see almost everything you post basically in Facebook, like oh. pre- pretty much like that. And we've kind of known each other through that, but like it was, it was kind of weird. Like today is the first time we met, but I feel like I know you decently at least from this stuff. Well, that's good. I try to put, um, you know, my Facebook feed uh, as authentic as I can make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we both, so just a shout out. So me and Jacob both, I'm living Flint. We're both very much connected. So you're a student at UMM Flint. Right. Um, I think a lot of people who listen to my podcast are outside the Flint area. So what was what are some of your favorite things about Flint before we get started? Oh, gosh. My favorite things about Flint. Um, well, Flint has been the first place that has ever felt like home for me. Um, after leaving my dad and stepmoms, I went to my grandparents. And then I came here for school. Um, and I've lived here more on my own than I've lived with my grandparents. Um, so this place has always felt a really strong sense of community. People here, um, I feel, you know, genuinely have cared about me. Um, and this is the place where I was able to open up and explore my queer identity and get involved in things that I really loved. And so to have support and 
you know, create a new family through that has always been something that I've loved about Flint. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things about Flint is that I feel like if you're in Flint, you, if you're still like here now, cause so many people have left you, like you want to be here. Like you care about the city, you care about people here. And there's just this open arms thing of Flint with all different backgrounds, people of all different backgrounds, people of all different beliefs and I've just met so many people from that I frankly have like I'd never encountered people from different lifestyles and it's just been it's been very eye-opening for me and even sometimes when people I disagree with but being able to I feel like people are really open to having conversation here which is something that I really love about Flint and definitely gonna miss it um I think as the time of me posting this I'll have already um left the area but I'm missing I'm missing Flint already so Cool. Well, this is, of course, it's the My Story podcast. So what was life like for you, I guess, growing up? Well, um, hmm, that's a great question. Like anybody, you don't have memories until you're like three or four, I feel like. But um, that's around the time when my dad and mother got divorced. Um, So I never I don't really have any like traumatizing memories about that. Um, But I lived with my mother and then... um, my brother, who was just an infant at the time when they got divorced, um, and we lived in uh, Auburn Hills, I believe. Um, so that's kind of like a metro suburb of Detroit, right? Right, okay. right, right. Um, and I mean, at that time, my childhood was pretty average. Um, you know, I guess as average as you can be with a single mother. Um, and then after she. After a while, uh, you know, I guess life got to be too much for her. She started getting into um, abusing drugs and alcohol. Um, And so we moved in with my grandparents. Um, And my grandparents live in Dryden. And I actually currently live with them uh, when I'm not going to school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I lived with them for about a year and a half. Um, How old were you at this time? Right now, um, I just... uh, Oh, (laughs) so the past year and a half, you live with them? Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um... Yeah, and then so after my mother lost custody, we lived with them, uh, and I was about nine at the time. And then, mm-hmm. um, then my mother lost custody, or what did I say? After my mom lost her trailer, not lost custody, is when I lived with my grandparents. Then when my mother lost custody, I went and lived with my father, um, and my father and stepmother lived in. I don't. I don't know what city they lived in, actually, but um, it was a trailer park called Pineview Estates. Um, And that was, I don't know, like, it was a huge adjustment moving in with my father and stepmother. Like, they just had a completely different lifestyle than my mother did. What do you mean by that? Like, they were very strict in the sense that my mother... wasn't she never you know had like a curfew she never like made me do my schoolwork or anything like I was actually going to be held back in third grade just because I didn't do school (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then to move in with my dad and stepmother and be like you know hey you need to get your shit together you need to be an adult at age 10 was a huge switch how Um, did you handle that um I feel like I handled it as well as any 10 year old could like my grades definitely significantly improved with um you know with their guidance and all of that um 
and living with them for the first few years was okay. You know, I feel like my stepmother, uh, it wasn't until later years when she started to become abusive. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that's something that I've always thought about, like what, what caused that change? Because like I said, she didn't start out that way. She started out, you know, like the caring mother, like making breakfast, you know, making our lunches, asking how our day was, stuff like that. And then once we moved to Goodrich, I don't know if maybe me coming out and well, I say coming out, I didn't, I didn't get to come out. They kind of just discovered um, that I wasn't heterosexual. <laughs> um, I don't know where I want to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, I guess, feel about this so that, because it sounds like a lot of instability, you know, the abuse, um, as far as where you out, like with your stage and like your identity, like as well, like how did you feel like about all these things? It's interesting that you asked that because I didn't get to feel. Mm -hmm. I just had to take the situation as it was and just kind of roll with it. Um, and I was, there was in our house, you know, never a, well, how are you feeling? You know, how are you doing? It was just, this is what this is. And this is what you get to do. I, it was a very controlling environment. Um, and it's interesting because after I left, um, I was kicked out May 21st of 2015, mm -hmm. right after I graduated high school. I wasn't even 18 yet. Um, and I was watching this film, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, and it was, I don't know, everything in that movie just kind of, I really identified with. Um, and it kind of just kicked open the floodgates of everything that I hadn't been dealing with. And it gave me my first panic attack. I was sobbing, shaking uncontrollably. I even like had to go and throw up just because what I was feeling was so intense. Um, and I lost power that night. There was a storm and I lost my power that night. And so I was forced to kind of be alone in that, you know, um, I didn't have anybody to message and talk to, to kind of help me through it. So here I was having my first mental breakdown and I was alone and I had to learn how to be okay in that. And that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Yeah. How did you, I guess, grow from that moment, I guess, going forward? How did I grow from that? Um, I think that kind of showed me, um, that, hey, wow, you know, you're not okay. You are damaged. And when people think about, you know, being damaged, what does that mean? Um, you know, people look at that like that's a negative thing, you know. Um, but everybody's damaged. We all have had things that have happened to us that scar us. Um, and for me, it just showed me that, you know, you need help and you need to start processing what happened to you because you knew or you know I knew what happened to me uh, wasn't okay but I didn't know the extent yet of how bad it was mm -hmm. where'd you go from there then well um 
at the time living in Dryden, you know, it's very isolated. You have very small town then. Oh yeah. You see and talk to more deer than you do people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I just had my grandparents and I definitely wasn't going to talk to them about it um, just because living how I lived with my parents, I didn't trust them yet. Um, I didn't want to have them kick me out because then I would really be I would. Oh, can I swear here? Is that a, is that a thing? Oh, you can. I'll probably edit it or something. Oh, okay. I was screwed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so I didn't trust them. Um, And I, let's see, I met, I met my, at the time, fiance, June 10th, three days after I turned 18. Um, And so he was really the extent of my support network at the time. And the funny thing about uh, his name was Edward is that he lived in Colombia, South America, 3,000 miles away. So not the ideal support network for anybody, um, but he was all I had. So would you guys like uh, like message, like video chat? or? Yeah, yeah. FaceTime was like how we had our relationship. And it's interesting because while he was only ever an image on a screen for me, I never got to meet him. Uh, We ended our relationship before that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, So while I never got to meet him, this image on a screen on this iPad was my world and somebody that I loved. And it's crazy to think about that because, you know, when you think about non-long distance relationships, having a person in front of you physically, being able to connect with that person, you know, on a bigger level than you can uh, in a long distance relationship to still have what we had is really significant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's crazy. I've had times for, you know, when I first opened up and kind of shared with people, I'm like, you know, I'm struggling with these things. I'm not okay. It's really hard to do that with one person. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea that monogamy produces you know that one person should be your everything um can be kind of damaging not only because that puts a lot of pressure on that person to be you know your everything um it's also very limiting to yourself to say you know well i have to go to this one person with everything because it's an unrealistic expectation um so once i began school uh, at u of m flint I started going uh, to therapy through the Counseling Accessibility and Psychological Services Program. Um, What was your experience with that? Oh, my God, I loved it. Well, at first, anyways. Um, (laughs) My therapist's name was Jeannie Kermis, and she actually practices in Clinton Township right now, I believe. But, I mean, she was the best. She really got me on a path to being able to be self-aware, um... And when I say self-aware, I mean, like, I, well, my official diagnoses, uh, I have post-traumatic stress disorder, panic disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder. Um, And so generalized anxiety disorder is having anxiety about anything in general. (laughs) Um, Everybody knows what PTSD is. Everybody, like, has the stereotype of, like, the Vietnam vet who, you know, wakes up with nightmares in the middle of the night. Um... And for me, yeah, I do have nightmares often. Um, and it's interesting because my nightmares just had a shift. 
usually um, the nightmares are me in my house in Goodrich with my dad and stepmom. And I'm arguing with my stepmother about something. Um, And then I try and call my grandparents to come and get me. Uh, But the story is always that it'll have to wait until tomorrow. And so I'm trapped in that house with them again. But they just had this strange shift where, um, let's see, I was in my family room. And uh, we, since we lived in the country, we didn't use propane heating or natural gas heating. We had like a wood burning stove. Mm -hmm. And so we had to, you know, cut down trees split the logs, all that happy country shit stuff. Um, and so my we had like wood built up in this thing by the fireplace. And I was arguing with my stepmom about something. And then she like, I don't know why, she turned into a log. And so I was fighting with this log. Like I threw this log on the ground and it like split in half. And then I was like, oh shit, my father's going to kill me. And so I, I broke my step yeah, I, log. I, right, right. <laughs> and so um, I was looking into that, like logs represent change. And so um, I, I don't know why it's important that she turned into a log, but that's where my subconscious went. <laughs> um, and so uh, after I broke her, um, I ran out of the house um, and my father was like throwing belts at me. And then I like jumped in front of somebody coming down the road and like in the middle of traffic um, and they stopped and I got in their car and then they took me. And so now this change in my nightmares, I've gotten out of the house and I've escaped. It's interesting. Um, and I don't know where that's going to go yet. Cause since this is the first one that I've had like that. Mm-hmm. How else, how, um, else has your life changed since like entering college? My life, every moment that I have not been in that house has been a lot it's like i always say that life kind of took 10 years worth of experiences and crammed it into one um as far as coming to school and being in flint you know i like i said earlier i found a sense of community and support um and i was able to explore my identity and who i wanted to be a lot more um and i was able to come to love myself um, because living with my dad and stepmom constantly being shamed for who I was, I did hate myself. Um, I used to have fights in the mirror. Like mirrors used to be dangerous for me. Like I would see my reflection um, and I would like repeat the things that my stepmother had said to me, you know, you're worthless. You're shit beneath the feet of the world. You're going to die alone. And that's exactly what you deserve. And I mean, those were things that my stepmother said to me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I remember when I got accepted to college, like usually that's a thing that like families celebrate. But for her, you know, it was just, she said, of course they'd take you. You're a bait boy. Meaning that because I wouldn't have any income, I would be paying via student loans. And so I was a bait boy because that meant more money for them in interest, I guess was her logic there. It's a very contrived it's a very specific and detailed (laughs) right so i mean there was never any like sense of accomplishment like with them it was always you're not enough and you never will be and it's interesting because you know now that i'm out of there it's been just over two years 
they still like stalk my Facebook and they still look at what I'm doing. And whenever I talk to my brother, they'll tell me, excuse me, that, um, you know, they'll, he'll tell me things that they say about me and that they still talk about me. And it's like it for as long as they wanted to get rid of me and for as much as they hated me, it's crazy that they're still this obsessed with me that they need to, um, that they need to follow my Facebook and find out what I'm doing with my life. And everybody's always been like, well, why don't you just block them? And for a while I did have them blocked. Um, but for me, I know that if they do see what I'm doing and they see that, you know, I'm happy and successful um, and I'm someone that I'm proud of, that that just burns my stepmother just a little bit inside. <laughs> and so I get that satisfaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how would you describe like yourself? Um, so how would you like, like who would you say you are, Jacob? That's always an interesting question because how do you take your entire existence and sum it up into a sentence or two? Um, but to describe myself, well, um, I'm Jacob Elsewhere. I am a very queer, radically left socialist person who is very anti-capitalism, which is ironic considering that I work in a retail store or, um, what else about me? Um, I don't know. I'm just very passionate about people and their well-being. Um, and not just, you know, queer people, but all minorities and all people who are being persecuted. Yeah. So how did, I guess for people who, cause I'm sure there's a lot of people listening, um, who haven't like, they very much, they don't know people like within LGBTQ and um, how would you describe, you know, how you arrived to where you're at, like now, like with your own identity? Um, well, identity is always interesting. Um, and it takes a lot of work to discover yourself and it takes a lot of time because you don't just wake up and be like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm gay. Um, and you don't just like make peace with that. Um. Was that that a difficult process for you? Absolutely. You know, it's hard to look at yourself and be like, hey, this is who I am. Um, And people want me dead because of it. People want to hurt me because of it. People want to see me suffer because of the person that I am. Um, You know, it's never easy to be like, okay with that. (laughs) Um, And so when I first started well, I guess when I first realized that I wasn't heterosexual, um, that was interesting in the sense that, you know, I lived in a small conservative town. Um, and so there was no way that I was going to, um, come out. Um, and I came from a religious family. Like we went to church, like they're Methodist. Um, and so, I was Methodist as well. And I always thought, you know, okay, well, I can be gay, but I just won't act on it. I will, you know, live my life in a holy way, the way that God wants me to, that way I can go to heaven. Um, And so it took a lot of work to deconstruct that. It takes a lot of work to um, unpack and go through what society says that we should be and say, no, 
I can be me and I can be happy. Um, and for me, the way that it started was saying, well, if God would look at me and deem me unworthy for paradise, then that's not a God that I respect or that I worship because I know I'm a good person and I know that the life that I'm living is the kind that, um, that I support. Um, and if my God wouldn't do that, then that's not somebody that I respect. Mm-hmm. So would you say that you, I guess, believe um, like now, as far as like within, I guess, religion or spirituality? or I think right now, um, I have a lot of debate about that, actually, mm-hmm. because like I said, you know, if if God would send me to hell for being who I am, then I don't respect him. Um, so I won't say that there isn't a God. And I guess that makes me agnostic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, to look at how the world is uh, and existence is in general, to say that, you know, there wasn't some kind of divine intervention doesn't seem unreal to me. Yeah. I know for me, like when I was, I talk about this in my, my story podcast, but my, so the first one, um, go, go listen to it. Go people. Um, <laughs> but in mine, I talk about when I was in, cause I grew up, um, very like within a pretty I, like religious. I mean, it wasn't just about the, you know, doing of things, but when I, I kind of had an experience of like encountering God in a personal way, because I feel like I saw God at Santa Claus. But so I grew up within that. I kind of made a choice in my own faith. And then um, even did like a missionary year. And then after that came into college and had an experience of just like looking at and being like complete questioning. And I was like, is actually any of this true? And then because for me, my faith had, you know, it went from just doing things, but being to more of like a relationship. But I just didn't feel have any experience. I didn't feel God feel his presence or anything at all. Like it was just nothing. I felt like I was talking to a ceiling Mm -hmm. and um, like I was like more like I, I feel like I was I, I was so moving and transient in my beliefs at the time. But I was more like I would have probably described myself as agnostic, which is weird because I was still going to church and other things. But I feel like it's really hard because it's like, who is God? Because if God is. um, I feel like maybe more what what I've descri- discovered over time is like he's very like kind of coming back to that. And I have an experience of those, that faith again is that like, you know, he loves me no matter what I do. Like right. he wants me to, um, you know, he wants me to be the best version of me like at the same time. But um, yeah, having on like things that I go through, um, things that, things that I've been through, things that I struggle with and kind of that unconditional love. Um yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like people, a lot of times they treat religious stuff that you're, okay, you're just in one place and you're in a, like, a defined low note. And it's really like like anything with religion or spirituality, it's very much a journey. At least I would say for, you know, people, most people. I mean, some people, they're kind of where they're at. They're there for the rest of their life. But Right. And I think for me, the most important thing, um, you know, when you can go to church and you can you know, believe what you believe. But to me, 
religion or spirituality should be totally about you because it's about what you believe and about, you know, creating your own path in your beliefs. Um, and so that's something that I've always talked about um, with queer people of faith. You know, they have this internal conflict that, you know, that their life and who they are is a disgrace and a sin. Um, but if you can get past that, you know, to me, what the Bible has, you know, made me believe is that, you know, life is about your relationship to God, not what, you know, not what you go to church and what Mr. Preacher Man is saying, you know, it's about you and him and how you make that work between you really Mm -hmm. is religion to me. Yeah. How have you had, like, what have been your maybe like good and bad experience with people who are religious or like Christians? Well, um, it's always refreshing to see queer people of faith um, because I feel like they do a lot to um, push back against, you know, the, everybody has like the um, extremist view of like the Westboro Baptist church. Like, Oh that. yes. <laughs> yeah. Really um, the best people. Let's, let's oh yeah. <laughs> God hates fags.com is literally their website. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if that doesn't tell you a lot, um, but I mean, you know, I feel like queer people of faith, like kind of restore my faith in humanity, like that we're not completely lost. <laughs> um, and then of course, you know, everybody has the bad experiences with religion where it's like, you know, you're going to hell, your, your style, your lifestyle choices are a sin. And, um, I guess I've been pretty fortunate not to experience a lot of hate crimes in my life, but like, I'm super nervous now that I just got this car. Um, cause, cause like I taped a pride flag to my antenna. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for it to be keyed or something, you know, cause I do live in a small town. Yeah. Yeah. And how would, um, I, I was curious about this before. So how would you say that you differ as far as like, no. So what is the difference between queer and like you would say then like being gay just for people who are listening? Okay. That's a great question because people always look at um, the word queer as like a slur. Um, and so when people, I mean, even my boss, you know, she said, well, how, how can you call yourself queer? That's like such, such a disrespectful thing. Um, and so, you know, the way that I look at it is, queer is an identity um and so to get back to what you asked you know the difference between being queer and being gay um you know for me i can't say that i'm gay because if you look at the definition of being homosexual um you know that would be somebody who um, is either a man or a woman and they're attracted to their same sex and so me not being a binary person not being a man you know how can I say that I'm gay so then it's like well what does that make me if I'm not gay who am I Um, so how did you arrive as far as like with you know where what you believe about your gender gender identity like how did you get there um for a while I always like I mean I I identified as a man um and believed that and then it wasn't until I started like working uh i joined a group here in flint called transgender connect um and i was their secretary and treasurer for a little bit and so working with 
the trans community kind of opened my eyes to um, the expanse of what gender is. And, you know, um, people always looked at me as a kind of a feminine person, you know, wearing makeup, wearing heels. Sometimes they'd even put on a dress. Um, and so everybody, when I started working with TransConnect, was like, oh, my God, are you trans? And I was like, no, you know, I'm comfortable with my body and who I am. I wouldn't say that I'm trans. Um, and, you know, wearing makeup, wearing heels doesn't make me any less of a man. Um, and then once I started getting educated on gender identity and gender spectra, um, I started to question, you know, well, what makes me a man? You know, I was told I was. I never said I was. And so then that kind of opened the door to, you know, if I'm not a man, who am I? And for a while I said, you know, well, I'm gender fluid. Um, because like I said, you know, people told me that I was feminine. And so... So what, for people listening, what, what would gender fluid mean? Okay, so uh, think about, you know, what fluid is physically. It's something that isn't solid. It moves around. Uh, so to apply that same thought process to gender, your gender isn't solid. It moves around. Some days you feel super masculine. Some days you feel super feminine. Um, and so that, I thought, applied to me, you know, because some days I was in a hoodie and blue jeans and then other days you know I'm wearing heels and yoga pants and whatever um and so then I went even further um because to look at masculinity and femininity those are things that society has defined for us um you know people stereotype femininity as having long hair um or even you know to go further having a vagina. That's what makes you a woman. That's what makes you feminine. Um, and so I knew from working with my trans friends that, well, that's not true. You know, having a vagina does not make you a woman. You saying you're a woman makes you a woman, you know, it, and, uh, and now that like that, that statement makes me nervous because then it makes me like think of like, you know, transphobic people who are going to be like, well, I just said I'm a woman. So now I'm a woman. Um, so I don't want to say that, you know, saying you're a woman makes you a woman. I want to say, identifying as a woman makes you a woman um mm -hmm. and it's so like ad identifying with I feel like right I'm right and so for me um once i started you know to realize that masculinity and femininity are self-definable you know that there isn't there doesn't have to be this rigid construct of what gender is um then i discovered the term queer um and so for me, the term queer is kind of a way to get around the complexity of identity, to not have to delve in to find specifically this term of what I am or who I am. Um, it's like a wild card. I'm thinking of Uno. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, um, and then to, rate, to relate that back to sexuality, you know, saying, well, if I'm not gay, what am I? Well, I'm queer. You know, I guess technically if we wanted to like label me, I would be pansexual. I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. And so that's why I use queer, um, you know, and the pansexual identity, you know, they're attracted to people regardless of gender. Um, excuse me. I would never turn 
excuse me i would never um i mean like primarily i feel like i'm attracted to men um but you know right now i am talking to this other queer person and so um you know i would never like um turn somebody down just because like they're a woman like if i had a really great authentic romantic experience with a woman i wouldn't just be like well i'm gay so i can't i can't make this work i'm sorry um so yeah i feel like like you said you know it's a wild card it's um it's a way to not have to be so critical of myself Mm -hmm. um and i read this thing the other day that i really liked um because right now people are using the weird the word queer like none other um and it's kind of upsetting people you know gay is not synonymous with queer queer is the god i'm awful at paraphrasing um but it kind of just talked about how like you know queer is more of a lifestyle than the identity Mm -hmm. of being gay is you know queer takes it to a whole nother personal level in the sense of like your political your social um and interactions in the world Mm -hmm. so what um advice would you give because i know there's going to be a lot of people who are probably like more religious like listening to this podcast what would advice would you say them as far as uh, maybe some of the experience you've had with them and what you wish people could do better wow (laughs) um this is your chance (laughs) right i know um i don't know i usually i would say that if you are a person who is religious you know the queer community has a fear of you and it's not necessarily your fault if you're a good person you know Mm -hmm. be be open and be vocal about your support for people um because you know we can't read your mind and the way that the world is set up right now you know the default for people is that you are heterosexual cisgender and you're probably believing in god and so that kind of sets up this border for queer people that we can't interact with you because most likely you don't respect us. And so if you want to break down that wall and you want to be, um, you know, somebody who is open and accepting, not only because the way um, the world is having that view of everybody's um, heterosexual cisgender and believes in God is just not true. You can't look at somebody and know who they are. And so if you want to be that open and accepting person, you have to be vocal about it. Yeah. I think something very important for, and something we kind of suck at in society is talking, and interacting to people, even if we maybe disagree with them. And that's just been like, it's been a really fulfilling experience just with a lot of different, I mean, I know for uh, me, for myself, but also, like it's sometimes it's really beautiful to watch people who maybe they disagree on things like talking and having a relationship. And I think of in particular, I think of like Jesus because you know what he did, like if you go and read in the Bible, it's right there, but it's like, he didn't spend his time with people who were like the main part of society. Like he went to people that were outcast that were, um, 
that no one wanted anything to do with and felt not just were outcasts, but they felt like outcasts. And that's who like, you know, who the God, like that's the God of Christianity. That's what he chose to do. And I think that's something that me like in a faith bound, being a Catholic and a Christian is that people like, it's the same thing over and over again. I mean, throughout history, it's like we just outcast people we're different than us. We want to have conversation. We don't know them. All we do is judge them. And like, even if, you know, someone, if you disagree with them or disagree with their beliefs or disagree lifestyle, whatever, you can still have a relationship and it's tricky. It's hard. Like it's, it's hard in some cases to do that, but it's so worth it because there's like a beautiful, there's a beautiful intimacy and unity that comes from just knowing people. And like whether it's politically, whatever, I think that's something that is starting to happen. Like there's so much division within our world right now, people hating each other. But I think the one good thing is that people are starting to talk to each other and they're more open to people of different backgrounds and belief and th- experience that, the, that they've never had. So, right. Um, and so it, that's an interesting point. Um, you know, the whole trying to get along with people who disagree with you. Um, and it's something that th- the election kind of brought up for the Flint queer community. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of debate even within like the queer community of, well, you know, does does having a conversation and a friend with somebody, you know, who doesn't support, you know, who you are as a person, somebody who feels that because you are, you know, X, Y, Z, that you should have less rights and that you should, um, you know, be considered a second-class citizen. How do you, how do you respect somebody like that? Um, and so that's something that I'm totally guilty of, you know, mm-hmm. not wanting to conversate with people um, because of the way that I view who they are. And so I guess in a sense that that makes me a hypocrite because here I am saying, you know, you can't look at somebody and know who they are. And yet a lot of the times I do the same thing. You know, I look at somebody and be like, well, you know, they probably, where do I want to go with that? Um, I guess, like I said earlier, you know, the default people, you look at people and you assume that they're cisgender, heterosexual. um, And so, I don't know, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's hard. And it's it's hard. <laughs> There's right. no way to say. I, I feel like it's on not not sides. Like I think like that's one of the the starting part is being like okay, this person's here. Like a, there's a dividing line. That's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. But it's like I feel like in any case of division or separation, it's like you know it's on both people to reach out, and it's really hard. I feel I feel like for something, especially with people who you know LGBT. TQ community where they feel like ostracized by other parts of society. Um, I think like there's this, you know, there's may, I feel like there really is an onus or some way where people who are more in the mainstream to reach out um, to you. Mm -hmm. And because there's been a lot of pain in her and maybe it's like, even if individually the individual Christians haven't done that, like they have a responsibility, I would say to actually go out and, talk to people to meet them to have 
coffee or something and not right. just so like okay so as you and me talked about in the beginning not just so we can like collect diversity or anything like that but just right. to, to meet people and then meet them in their experience and i think that's what's so important is not look from the outside and just be like well i'm going to tell you what your experience is but to um, value it even if it is different and to love those people and i think that's what's most important is to love the people like just as exactly as they are right right and you know that's definitely something that the queer community has to work on as well um (laughs) no i feel like i feel like i can't i feel bad saying that because like i can't speak for everybody yeah definitely Um, and i don't want to that's not my goal um you know all i can speak to is my experience um and so I guess then I should really be saying, you know, that's something that I should work on. Um, you know, meeting people and like you said, accepting and loving them for who they are because that's what I want to. Cool. Well, let's close up. Before we do that, just give a shout out to your YouTube channel because you and me were talking about it beforehand. Oh, yeah. So um, the channel is called MyGBF. Um, we post uh, five days a week. Um, it's not just my channel. Um, I am on there with four other amazing human beings um so yeah find us on youtube my gbf follow us on twitter whatever you want yeah so do you guys mostly vlog then or yes yep vlog um and then we have you know different topics and right now things are just kind of random because we're still trying to um get a program going so if you want to know what jacob's life has been the past week every monday check in on that so yeah i just want to thank you very much jacob for coming on and I feel like you nailed just being real and honest, and that's what these podcasts are about. So thank you very much for sharing your experience, and I thank you also for people who, um, just for listening as well. And that's it. Meow. <laughs> Meow, indeed. So thank you guys again for for listening to this episode of the My Story Podcast with Jacob. I know it was a little different, so comment below on whatever app you're using or website, and let us know what you think. Also, if you want to hear new, fresh, spicy podcasts like this, we have a link below. Um, it's like the EPRL one, and that will sign up, sign you up for our like uh, newsletter. So once week email that I send out that are really fancy, and you'll be the first person to know when these podcasts come out. Or you can subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, I want to take a quick moment to thank my supporters on Patreon who help make this podcast possible, especially Libby Petrowski. And Danny Bloink, my man, if you guys want to help below, um, support this podcast, keep it going. Just there's a link before for that. Other than that, thank you very much. We'll have something new coming next week. And that's it, people.